of the more famous psalm, Psalm 51. Psalm 51, and just to let you know, um, Lord willing, uh, Brother Clayton will be preaching next Sunday night. That will be the last service of our missions conference. And then a week after that, we're going to have uh, Andrew preaching the evening services. And we're going to be taking the teens downstairs and giving them uh, a full dose for the next little bit, trying to uh, encourage them and give them things that they need. So just want you to uh, keep uh, those things in prayer. Uh, we cannot have our regular Sunday school where we divide everybody up on Sunday morning because of the other churches that, that meet in our building. But we can do this and, and now that we have uh, help in things uh, on Sunday nights. We'll be doing this a little bit more in different groups. So just want you to pray about that. But Psalm 51 and, of course, if you're familiar with the Psalms, you'll know that this is David's psalm uh, of repentance. This is David's song that he wrote in response to Nathan coming before him and exposing his sin, uh, not only with Bathsheba, but in the death of Uriah. And uh, we start in verse 1 of Psalm 51. And I'm just going to read the entire psalm here. Have mercy upon me, O God. According to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Excuse me. Wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee. Thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest. Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow." Make me to hear joy and gladness, that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my transgressions, iniquities, I'm sorry. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not from me... Sorry, cast me not away from thy presence, and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation, and uphold me with thy free spirit. Then will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness." O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Build thou the walls of Jerusalem. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offering and whole burnt offering. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. 
Now, of course, we understand that this was uh, a great and, and grievous sin, not just one, but an entire series of sin. Uh, I think one preacher put it this way, sin never comes by itself. It usually comes in six-packs. It brings its friends uh, with it. And, and you can't just do one thing wrong. And as we look at, at this whole thing, we don't want to study the sin. We want to study David's response. And so David calls out to the Lord in this psalm, and it's recorded here. And he starts with, Have mercy on me, O God. Now, that, that is a phrase that you can find all the way through your Bible. Do you remember the blind man in Jericho? Is have mercy on me, thou son of David, and uh, the lepers. And, and uh, we, we've been through what mercy is. And mercy is God giving blessing to the defeated. Now, we've offended God when we sin. And, and David admits this, and he asks for God's mercy. Uh, he says, the, God's mercy is based upon His loving kindness and His tender mercies. The multitude of thy tender mercies, he asks that his transgression would be blotted out. He says, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity. And cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, plural, and my sin is ever before thee. And now, verse 4 is a little strange, but we'll get there in just a minute. And so, what David is just asking for is a cleansing. But we have to understand something. The cleansing from sin was accomplished on the cross. Now, that hasn't happened yet in as David is praying this prayer to God, but God in His uh, greatness and in seeing the complete plan, this is what it means when it says Jesus Christ was the Lamb slain before the foundation uh, of the earth. David did not understand all of the things that would happen possibly to purchase uh, uh, our, our forgiveness, but he did write an awful lot about, you read Psalm 22, and it's an it's a perfect description of the sufferings of Christ on the cross. In fact, Jesus quoted uh, those verses. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? That's out of Psalm 22. And so, as David is writing, he is looking here. And we, we have to, to be careful. is because when we have sinned, especially... As David was dealing with a great and grievous series of sins in his life, we can we just get this idea that we pray and dear Lord forgive me and it's all over. Well, it is all over because of the cross. But there was a lot that happened in David's life as a consequence uh, of all these things. Some uh, uh, it's been pointed out that David. Uh, caused Uriah to die in the battle by putting, having Joab put him in the hot uh, spot of the battle and then retiring from him or abandoning him there. 
and he was killed, yet it would be four of David's sons that would die because of their own wickedness. It would be uh, Amnon, was David's eldest son, was killed by Absalom. Absalom was killed by Joab, uh, the son that was born uh, of the adulterous relationship with Bathsheba died. And also, uh, even after David was dead, the Abijah had sat upon the throne and tried to usurp the throne and had to be uh, executed by Solomon in order to stop all of the dissent in the kingdom and establish the kingdom. David's sin had far-reaching results and caused this. And, and so we get to verse 4, and he says, Against thee, thee only, have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. We need to understand something no matter what we do. When we sin, we, we sin against God. We sin against Him first. We do sin against other people. And uh, some, if we want to investigate it fully, a lot of the problems that David had with Absalom were all connected to his sin. Absalom's main counselor was a man named Ahithophel. Ahithophel was... Uh, Bathsheba's uh, grandfather. And it was all connected there, and it was his bitterness that actually helped Absalom foment the rebellion and all of this. And when Ahithophel saw that his counsel wasn't followed, you remember the story? He just went home and committed suicide. What a, what a terrible way to end. But that's where bitterness takes us. And we have to understand something about sin. It's got to be dealt with between you and God first. Until it's dealt with there, nothing else matters. Nothing else will be solved. And, and, and David is trying to understand and get before God and, and make sure that, that God judges his sin and cleanses him. And, and David acknowledges uh, his he, he was not born of sin, but in verse 5 he says, Behold, I was shapen in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. He said, I want, uh, he's admitting to God that, hey, I'm, I'm a human being. I have this sin nature. I have problems. I, I was born. And he's not making excuses. What he is, is doing here is just simply acknowledging the truth. And then we get to the meat of it. Verse 6. Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. And of course, these. Uh, words in verse 7 are actually turned into one of the hymns that we sing. Uh, beautiful song. And David is coming to God. He's acknowledging, we might say in our modern uh, terminology, David is owning up. He is owning his transgression. He is saying, listen, it's ever before me. And how many times have I heard people say, well, I know God forgives and I know God forgets, but I can't forget. Well, here's the answer to that in verse 6. Is you have to let God 
clean you up from the inside out. He's got to start in the hidden parts, in the inward parts. And it says, thou shalt make me know wisdom. He says, clean me. And this is one of the things that is just uh, amazing to me is we, we live in an age where it just seems like there is no conscience whatsoever. Where people just do things and nothing matters. They're not even knowledgeable that they've done anything wrong. I mean, oftentimes you'll have uh, someone driving way out of line and, and aggressively and causing an accident. And the first thing they do is get out of the car and blame the other person. And all of these things are, are part of our society today. But if we're going to, don't mistake a lack of conscience and a callousness towards sin for God cleansing your conscience from the inside out. That's what David is praying for here and asking God to do so that he would be able to, as we get to verse 8, to hear joy and gladness, that we can be separated, that we can be clean, not only uh, in, in um, our vision and things that we see, but in our inward heart and in our conscience before God, that we can know. Our sins are forgiven and that we do have a relationship with God. In verse 8, he says, make me to hear joy and gladness. And the thing is, God had never stopped giving joy and gladness. God had never stopped his message of praise to Israel But because David was so wrapped up in his sin and his transgression, he couldn't hear it anymore. This is one of the reasons why people, when they run into problems, one of the first temptations they they will have to fight is, you know, I just don't feel like church is ministering to me anymore. I just don't feel like I'm getting uh, fed the, the, the way I should. And part of that is because... Things that are wrong in your heart have closed your ears to hearing the joy and the good things that are already there that have never gone away. God has never changed His words. But our ability to hear and understand them can be altered greatly by the things that we allow in our life. And and David is saying that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Now, God did not physically break any bones of David as far as we know. David uh, never suffered a a broken bone uh, as we talk about physically, but he's talking about that deep uh, trauma that comes in your life because of sin. Uh, I remember preacher Pastor Thompson giving this testimony while he was Going through the chemotherapy from cancer, he said one night, he said, I just got the lowest point. He said it was just like the devil himself was there, reminding me of every sin that I had ever sinned. And he said, I just felt like I was going to die. And then I remembered the love of Jesus Christ. This is what David's talking about here. And this is where we need to go. We need to understand that when all the world 
gets sour and things just change. That uh, if I can bring back a uh, often used illustration, you just might be the man with the Limburger cheese on your mustache, even if you don't have one. Amen. Uh, uh, and where do we go? We have to go back to the Lord and let Him change us from the inside out that we can hear those messages. This is what David is praying. And he's saying, Hide thy face from my sin and blot out all mine iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. And uh, I think of the 23rd Psalm where he said, He restoreth my soul. I think of Romans chapter 12 where, where it talks about us being renewed in our mind and, and so that we can prove what is that good and holy and acceptable will of God. And David is, is, is asking God to, to make my heart right and to make it walk in the ways that it ought to. And verse 11 uh, is, is a verse that we've, uh, that presents trouble to some people. He says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. And you'll have to remember that that did happen to Saul. God rejected him from being the king, but we have a promise in the New Testament. This is the promise of the indwelling spirit. This is uh, what we're working on in, in Galatians chapter 3, right, right where we stopped, was the fact that the gift of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the promise that the Holy Spirit would never leave us, this is the culmination. This was something that could not happen in the physical realm of time until Jesus had fulfilled all of the demands of the Father on the cross. That's what he meant when he told the disciples. He said, it's, it's good for you that I go away because if I go away, I'm going to send you the Comforter. David did not have that promise that you and I do today. And yet, how many times do we feel that maybe God has pushed us aside? Uh, remember one preacher put it this way. He says, when God puts you on hold, he doesn't play nice music. And... Uh, uh, sometimes we, we feel that way. But here's what David's saying. He says, Cast me not away from thy presence. Restore unto me the joy. Now look at that personal pronoun there. The joy of thy salvation. Salvation is something that God has promised personally to the person that will believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? That, that's what the Bible says. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. For as many as received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. But... Have you lost your joy? Have you allowed things in this life to pull you down? People will often come over the years and they'll say, Pastor, uh, um, I don't know what's going on. I'm, I'm having problems. I'm doubting whether I'm saved 
or not. And, and uh, I'll normally go to, to just one, one simple statement. There's two reasons why a person feels that they're unsaved. Number one, the Holy Spirit of God is convicting you that what you think is salvation in your life really isn't true biblical salvation. And he is trying to bring you to the truth of a true salvation experience. The Bible talks about a lot of people think they're saved and they're going to stand before God and say, haven't, haven't I done many wonderful works? They're going to be prophesied. Preachers are going to be standing in that group saying, I preached in your name and, and did miracles. And he's going to say, what? Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. What? I never knew you. He said, you were never part of my family. So, if you're having those doubts and wonders and, and it's really a burden, you, you need to spend some time. But I'll tell you, the only assurance of salvation you can have is what the Bible says. Did you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus? Did you believe in your heart that God hath raised him from the dead? Then the Bible says, thou shalt be saved. So what's the other reason a person doubts their salvation is having problems? It's what David is describing as going on in his life. He allowed sin into his life. And when we allow sin into our lives, it clouds our ability, just as we talked about before, uh, with um, uh, make me to hear joy and gladness. We can't hear it. We, we lose sight of the fact of God's goodness. We fall out of the way. He says, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uphold me with thy free spirit. It's not in you. It's not because of you that you are saved. It's because of the work of God and the work of His Holy Spirit in our lives. And yet, here's the purpose. And David alert, uh uh, points our attention this direction in verse 13 as he ends this little section. Then will I teach transgressors thy way, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now, again, we, we need to be careful. I've been in some testimony times where uh, one person get up and they tell every rotten thing they ever did and then I got saved. I, I don't like that kind of testimony, personally. But we do need to acknowledge what we were before we were saved without giving gruesome and scintillating details, without uh, drawing attention to our sin. We need, we need to understand, we need to make people understand that God is in the sin-forgiving business. Some people think that they have to be perfect to come to God. How many times have someone said, well, preacher, I'll, I'll, I'll be in church once I get a few things straightened out. And I said, well, wait a minute. Don't do that. You'll never get those things straightened out. Church is a place where you do get those things straightened out. That's why you have to come. That's why you have to be a part. Church is not for the perfect. It's for sinners who want to serve God, who want to have that restored joy, who want to understand that sinners need to be converted unto thee. Then we come to the last section uh, of this psalm. As he is closing out uh, the psalm, he acknowledges his sin. 
He asked God to restore the joy of his salvation. uh, And that salvation belongs to God. It's God that does the saving. It's us that needs to understand what we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, If you ever want to just be encouraged, sit down and think about the patience of God. Not the patience of Job. That'll discourage you. He went through an awful lot. Uh, and, and it's meant to be an example. If Job can endure all that, then you can endure what you have to endure. But think about the patience of God. Think about what He has put up with from you so that you could be His child. That's what David's talking about here in this psalm. And then... He comes to verse 14 as he's closing this up. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. Thou God of my salvation and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. What does the Bible say? The wages of sin is... Fill it in. That's pretty weak. Let's try that again. The wages of sin is... Aren't you glad that Jesus died on the cross in your place? David didn't understand all that, but he did understand this. That if God does not separate us from the guilt and the punishment we deserve from our sin, we will never see God. We'll never get to heaven. And that's what the cross was all about. And David is praying. He says, deliver me from the blood guiltiness, O God. And he says, I will sing Aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. For thou desirest not sacrifice, else would I give it. Thou delightest not in burnt offering. And this is a a mistake that many people have made over the years as they have tried to teach about the Bible and all of the sacrifices in the Old Testament. Read the book of Hebrews. It's not the blood of goats and bulls that saves us. It's the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, sometimes what people do is they try to do right things to pay for the wrong things. And that's what David is alluring to, uh, 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 not alluring, but uh, alerting us, calling our attention to. God does not take away our sins because we do more good things than bad things. How many of you remember going to a church that taught you that? Before you found out the truth in the Bible. Don't allow yourself to be drawn back into that scenario of trying to balance out good and bad. That doesn't work. If the sacrifices could take away your sins, read the book of Hebrews, then they would have stopped being offered. There would come a point where we wouldn't need to have Yom Kippur, which was just celebrated by the Jewish people. We wouldn't need any of these things. And of course, in Jesus Christ, when you trust Him as your Savior, there is no more sacrifice for sin. Because Jesus has Paid it all. Amen. And we need to sing forth His praises. We need to do 
what Zacchaeus did. As we need to make Jesus' forgiveness, we need to make his compassion on us look good to the world in which we live. Uh, I, I know people that are just consumed with bitterness. And they will not come to Jesus for their forgiveness because they can't let go of someone else's sins against them. And this is where David is. It's interesting. David did all of this, and and we could spend time tonight, and I don't want to spend too much, but David got over the bitterness and all of the things that were attached to his sin, even when his own children began to repeat or actually do worse things than David did. He still stayed with the Lord. But David's number one counselor, Ahithophel, was taken captive by bitterness and destroyed. And David said, listen, it's not sacrifices. If you want the sacrifice that God wants, here it is in verse uh, uh, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. O God, thou wilt not despise. Now, be careful. This isn't just being sorry. This is the difference between fake repentance and real repentance. Do you think Judas was sorry as he went out and hanged himself? Let me tell you something. His soul was consumed with sorrow. But the sorrow of this world bringeth forth death. It's a godly sorrow that leads us to repentance, the Bible tells us. Now, what is a godly sorrow? A godly sorrow is looking at our sin as God looks at our sins. How does God look at our sins? He sees the cross. If you want... What, what the Bible talks about, blessed are the poor in spirit. That's acknowledging our sin and our weakness and our failures. What's the next one? Blessed are they that mourn. How will you get there? It's not something that you gin up inside of yourself. Mourning is something that you can't stop. It's something that just comes out. Uh, and one of the ways that... God will effect this blessing in your life is by understanding it was my sins and my failures, my rebellion against God that put Jesus on the cross. And the greatest suffering of Jesus was not the physical things. That's why I hate Mel Gibson's movie, and I I just try to disparage it every opportunity I have. You will not learn anything about Jesus Christ. Anything about the truth of God by watching that filthy movie. If you want to learn something about Christ, you study the holiness of God. That will give you this broken and contrite heart. That will give you the sacrifice that God wants. 
And see, David was not unmindful of his position and who he was. He was the king of Israel, wasn't he? And he committed these acts as the king. In fact, he even used the cover of the palace and of the war that was going on to try to hide his sin. And I mean, how, how much more perverse can you get than what David was doing as he was using his authority and his power as king? And then when Uriah was finally dead, he, he used that, uh, uh, the law of God of the, Brother marrying the wife and treating Uriah the Hittite, a Gentile who was one of his mighty men, and elevating him to a point to where all the people thought, he's, he's treating Uriah just like the law says a man ought to treat his brother. How, how horrible can it be? But that's what David did until Nathan came in and stuck his finger in the king's face. And David understood. I've sinned against a lot of people, but I've sinned against God. And I can't get rid of my sin. I cannot heal my conscience. You know, if we had some type of medicine that would heal conscience, there'd be a line from the Mississippi River to the front door here to get it. But I'll tell you, we do have a medicine that heals the conscience. David alludes to it here by saying, uh, where was it? Behold, now thou desirest truth in the inward parts and in the hidden part. Thou shalt make me to know wisdom. See, the only way you're ever going to forgive others is by being able to accept God's forgiveness for your sin. And that's what this passage is all about. And David gets a hold of this. And then the last two verses, he says, Do good, do, do good in thy good pleasure unto Zion. Now, Zion was the hill on which the temple would be built. At this time, there was no temple. But David was preparing for it. The plans were being made and drawn up. The, the storehouses were being filled uh, with the, the uh, precious metals and the brass, and the, they said the brass that was used was without weight. And there was a hundred thousand talents of gold. Now that's one with five zeros behind it. A hundred thousand. Now you put seventy-five in front of that, so that would be seven million five hundred thousand pounds of gold. Does that kind of amaze anybody. That's what they used to build Solomon's temple. Stop and think about that for a minute. Why do you think the king of Babylon wanted to raise it to the ground? That's a lot of tonnage of pure gold that was taken back into the coffers and the treasuries of Babylon because of the sins of God's people. Here's what David said. Lord, I want your good pleasure to be accomplished in the place where we're going to worship you. You know, that's why we, we pay attention and we try 
to, to do things to, to make our building look as good as it can. We want to be careful. We don't want it to be like many other religious organizations where you come in and you sit there and you're just enthralled by all the symbolism and all. We just want a place where we can meet and worship God. We want to keep the building to a point to where it's not distractive, where your attention is able to be focused on the Word of God, where the preaching and the singing of God's hymns can happen. And, and, and that's part of David's prayer here. And the second part is, build thou the walls of Jerusalem. He said, Lord, I need you to build the place. I need your goodness and your will to be accomplished because we cannot worship you unless we do it your way. But Lord, we, we need you to build our nation and to keep our government heading in the direction that it ought to go. And then the last one is, then thou shalt be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness. You see, God's greatest pleasure in sacrifice was when the people's heart was right first. You see, the sin sacrifice, no one... Not even the priest partook of the sin sacrifice. That, that was burnt on the altar. There was a certain part. There was the skin. Sometimes it was reserved. But after you got through the sin sacrifice, then you had a thanksgiving offering and a peace offering. And those offerings were uh, different amounts of time that you would have to celebrate and, and enjoy that feasting. You see, in the Bible, once the sin is dealt with, there is a feasting element that is always included in the sacrifice. And here's what David is saying as he finishes this out. He says, God, you want us to worship you out of a right spirit. Out of a out of joy and out of forgiveness and out of standing pure in thy sight because of what you have done, then we can offer those sacrifices. How many of you remember Paul's letter to the Corinthian church? He said there were some people in there that were serving the Lord even out of contention. They were doing the right things for the very wrong reasons. And if there's anything we need to think about in the next few days as we're getting ready for our missions conference, it's this. We don't want to be satisfied with what God has done in the past, though we want to rejoice with what He's done. Amen? But we want to ask God to use us to press a little further, do we not? But we need to make sure our motives... And our heart desire in this thing. I don't want someone putting money in the uh, missions because preacher begs us to give money to missions. Please don't do that. We give to missions because it's our duty, yes. But it's one of the ways that we can show love back to the Lord Jesus Christ. Your, your giving tells an awful lot about your heart. Ask God to work in your heart in these next few days. David 
as he had gone through this entire process at the very end, he is telling us the way things ought to be. That once we have that forgiveness, then is the time that we can lavish upon the Lord those sacrifices. And we can see God answer us in miraculous and special ways. Because we're not sacrificing trying to tell God how sorry we are for the wrong that we've done. We're sacrificing because He has forgiven us. And we're saying thank you for all the right things that He has done in our life. Do you see the difference? And this is the way that it ought to be. This is the things that we ought to be working on. And as David goes through this psalm, pleading for God's mercy, because that's the only cure for sin, acknowledging that he had sinned against God, he says, I want you to cleanse me and restore the joy of my salvation so I can teach people there is forgiveness for sins. There is a cleansing not only on the outward but on the inward. The conscience made pure so that when I stand before God, I can offer the sacrifices. Not just to say, I'm sorry. But sacrifice saying, thank you God for your goodness and your work in my life. And all God's people said, let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we come before you and we thank you for this psalm. And Lord, we just ask that you would minister its words to our heart and to our life. Lord, that you would give us grace to offer those sacrifices out of thanksgiving and praise to your goodness. Before we finish that prayer, take just a moment. The altar is open if you'd like to come and pray. And then we'll get into our prayer time tonight.